Welcome to Let's Talk Transportation, a podcast series of the Broward Metropolitan Planning Organization, also known as the MPA. We talk about the ins and outs of transportation in Broward County and all of Southeast Florida, why it matters, how it works, and the challenges and opportunities related to achieving great transportation. I'm your host, Greg Stewart, Executive Director of the MPO. Welcome to the next edition of Let's Talk Transportation. I'm honored to have Jenny Morahone from the downtown DDA of Fort Lauderdale here to talk about planning and transportation and the city of Fort Lauderdale and our future. We're glad to have you. Greg, thanks for having me. You know, now I'm going to talk about my three favorite subjects, so I'm glad you laid them out. (laughs) Awesome. You know, Jenny and I actually have known each other for a while, and, uh, you know, we have similar career paths, uh, being, you know, uh, certified planners and moving forward with land use amendments and all the fun stuff that we get to work with developers. And then Jenny got a great opportunity to go work for the Downtown Development Authority, which was actually a leader in transportation in South Florida with uh, a streetcar system and actually moving forward with that. And that actually was very successful. We call ourselves the instigators. (laughs) Someone has to be out there kind of cutting the die and setting the big vision. And oftentimes we don't get to actually implement what we come up with, but it's about facilitating the partnerships, um, working with groups like MPO and all our public sector. So it's fun. And that's that's actually a really good point because, you know, MPOs typically don't implement either, but we work together to bring things forward. Um, You know, some of the things, if you look at downtown Fort Lauderdale, you know, prior to you and I uh, getting our current roles, you know, the sidewalk improvements and things that happen in downtown Fort Lauderdale, a lot of that, you know, was because of instigation. And I kind of find that fascinating. Where do you see the changes from Fort Lauderdale, even during our time here? I mean, you came to Fort Lauderdale in what, 2000? Yeah, so I started my career fresh out of college. So I was a brand new urban planner. Um, I was actually working out by the Sawgrass Mills Mall. And I thought, where am I? Is this even Florida? (laughs) Um, I got an uh, interview at the city and I think I quit my job the next day. Didn't even didn't even have the interview yet. But, you know, it it was a it was a great path. 17 years at the city of Fort Lauderdale. And uh, in, in my last couple of years there, I ran the Department of Sustainable Development. So we handled all the urban planning, economic development. And, and partner with groups like yours. But, you know, over those two decades almost, um, I think the biggest change was seeing how the private sector was almost the only catalyst for physical change in downtown. And I think where we're at now is getting the public sector to see what's happened and be at that same level of investment for our infrastructure, our streetscape, and hopefully now mass transit. It's coming. We are going to get mass transit. That's right. I mean, we keep trying, we keep trying, you know, we may be dead, but it will happen. You know, and what are those triggers, right? What's, is it the chicken, the egg? We needed density. Uh, 6,000 people moved to downtown during the pandemic alone Mm. or in the past two and a half years, but downtown's grown by 80% in just a decade in terms of population. So now we have critical mass and we didn't have that before when we were instigating those big ideas, right? Right. That's so true. I mean, even uh, Peter Feldman, a good example, uh, you know, had acquired all that land in what is now, I guess, called Flagler Village, right? Yeah, one of the fastest growing urban neighborhoods in the country. And the, think about the density. Even though they're not uh, extremely tall, but the you know density is what? About probably 30, 40 units to the acre? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And just seeing
seeing that happen, and I remember people thinking, oh, no, who's going to live in Flagler Village in this area? I don't even think it was called Flagler Village at the time. Flagler Heights. Flagler Heights, there it is. <laughs> yes, the Heights. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that's really kind of fascinating, the growth that we, you and I have had, had been able to see. The downtown master plan, I don't remember who put that together. Um, that was so a... The city initiated that in the early 2000s, brought in uh, consultants, Ken Greenberg, notably from Toronto, Bayer Blinder Bell, um, wonderful land use planning firm and architecture firm out of New York, but also Keith and Schnars locally. Right. And it was kind of that you know team that worked together with stakeholders like Feldman, visionaries, um, DDA board members, and the the team at the city department that ran that. You know, in a way, it started because there were some really bad examples of some new development that occurred in the late '90s, and people said, "We want downtown to grow. We want this kind of investment." But we don't necessarily want to see that type of development. We want more walkable, connected neighborhoods. And when you're talking about that type of development, because I'm as guilty as sin as with that as well. I remember one of my first jobs out of uh, college. I was doing a plat review in a central Florida community. And they came in with a grid, perfect grid neighborhood. And I pulled out the comp plan that was brand new. And it said, everything should be curvilinear. <laughs> and so we ended up changing that. When we're talking about that in downtown Fort Lauderdale, is that suburban development? development style, correct? Where that's parking and, and then the retail or the building and then everything sets back. Is that what you're referring to? In some ways, yes. No active uses on the ground floor, nothing to engage the pedestrian to really make kind of an interesting, safe, you know, active environment on the ground floor. Just kind of massive towers, um, not so much in height. Height doesn't really matter once you get above about eight floors, but just how it responds to the feel when you're walking down the street. So I think those were the the big factors. How do we create more interesting buildings with better streetscapes and storefronts? That whole idea of an interesting building, and that's, you know, one of those things, and you're you're absolutely right when you talk about once you get past eight stories, people don't even know what's, you know, they're not looking that far up. Um, So you can have towers or you don't, you know, it, it really doesn't matter. The and I used this term when I was planning zoning director in West Palm Beach back in the 90s. We called undulation mm-hmm. with our building front. So that way there was some diversity in the way the buildings lined up on the street. But probably the most important thing that I learned from my experience up there is trying to create a um, covered sidewalk, an area where people could, like, still walk back and forth, but not necessarily be out in the sun or in the rain in particular. How's that happened in downtown Fort Lauderdale? Are you seeing that happen in the newer buildings that are coming in? We are. Um, You know, it's funny. South Florida in general, very young, Mm -hmm. you know, development. And we'll probably talk about that. But only going back maybe 100 years and in in earnest, probably 50 plus years, maybe 70 years. So, you know, what was really intuitive through subtropical architecture in the mid-century with awnings and protection from the rain and and loggias and Mm -hmm. you know all these cool kind of alleyways and walkways that are covered people said okay that's passe we're in the 80s now we're in the 90s we need you know bold columns that no one cares about and (laughs) you know get out there you know make the architecture very stately i think we're we're starting to see a, a 
a recognition that if it worked well then, it can work well now. And we're getting a cool mix of now modern, very bold designs right. with some of those basic tenets of architecture that are create more safe, comfortable, and welcoming spaces, like you said. Well, and I've noticed, you know, I, I, I actually moved from my suburban um, location uh, here. It was still in Fort Lauderdale. We, we <laughs> were there in th- for 17 years. But I live about 11 blocks from the center of the city. And, you know, it's a different type of experience. What, looking at the new construction that's happening, and this is what excites me. I mean, not for nothing, you know, we can build lots of streets and sidewalks and we can talk about uh, transit systems and putting in, and we'll talk about that, about the co- Broward Coastal uh, commuter rail system. But, so oh God, yeah. But, you know, the architecture, that, that, that simple thing that, you know, defines a block. And when you move into a building and can you get, you know, does, what does the building say to you? As opposed to saying, I'm just a building, it does it inspire you? Does it actually kind of give you a uniqueness? And everybody looks to that uniqueness when they're, you know, trying to find an address. Those factors are driving more competitive uh, scaling up of better design, right? And some of that is just the value of dirt. It's a lot more costly to buy land and mm. therefore, you know, rent rates are going to be higher to make that performa work. Well, if someone's paying a significant amount of rent to live in an urban metropolitan high-rise that's a luxurious product, right. they want stellar design. So I think architects and developers primarily are starting to realize they have to up their game with mm. architectural details, whether that's materials, whether it's the type of, you know, ways places feel on the ground floor. Right. Um, you know, not every building's a standout in any city. There's a lot of background buildings. Oh, yeah. But what happens along our streets? Yeah. That's what's most important. That's the experience that you feel. And then I think the other important thing that's changing is how do the public spaces that right. local governments or even private developers build as part of their developments, how does that feel? Because when you travel, that's what you remember about cities, I think. Yeah, yeah Would you I say? I mean, yeah. when you go around, you remember those piazzas, the plazas, the yeah. parks, the cool spaces. Yeah, where the fountain is, where yeah. you might sit on a bench and just stare for kind a while. Kind of the soul of the city. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I like that. And I, I see Fort Lauderdale gaining that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, It's a little um, still, it's not all tied together, cohesive yet. Yeah. There's, there's missing links, yeah. for sure. And I, I, one of the things, and to, to the listeners, you know, that Jenny and I get a great opportunity to talk about is how do we connect that? And how do we work with the development community to see that happen? How do we get the city of Fort Lauderdale to moving forward to kind of doing those connections? And I think that's really an exciting opportunity of partnership. And for an MPO, I mean, typically MPOs around the country, you know, we talk about, you know, the suburban uh, roadway system, the arterial network and all the rest of it but for us we actually have the opportunity to really talk about rebuilding these communities or actually building let's not even say rebuilding building the communities that provide that type of connection irony uh, with your Sunrise comment out in the city of Sunrise and we love Sunrise Florida it's a great place great place to go shopping Sawgrass Mills uh, but you know the reality is it's a very different experience so I have a, I have something to share with you I don't know if you know this um, my grandparents when they moved down from Charlotte probably in the 
I don't know, late 60s or so. Um, they actually worked for a developer out in West Tamarack. Oh, awesome. It's, it's a development now that's right across from the city furniture okay. headquarters. So, you know, that's to me the Everglades. I really yeah. <laughs> know that area. But I would go. Extremely suburban. A young kid and sit. They were, they sold the homes, the model homes in yeah. that community. And there was a, a scale model in the, the lobby that was probably, you know, 10 by 20 feet big. And I would just sit there as maybe a four-year-old, five-year-old and look at that and think almost like a dollhouse. Yeah. And I, I swear that that probably instigated my whole, you know, desire to, to look at planning and design from a, from a bigger level. And now I drive by there and there are these relatively smaller homes yeah. like on the golf course on these little canals and i think wow you know that was the standard mm. in the 70s right. right and that was that was as west as you could go yeah. so it's really interesting to see you know how we now think about this 2 million person population right. and all the different land use patterns that are within our county alone one of the things that I got lucky with um, in, a, in with this career, actually, period, the whole planning career, back uh, before I actually started working in planning, the the Broward County Library in downtown Fort Lauderdale had just opened, okay. the new one. And up on the fifth floor, there was this design book, and it was for the entire county. Um, it was published in 72, adopted by a what was called the Broward Area Planning Board. And it laid out all of Broward County, um, expressways, neighborhoods, and it had two different versions. It had an urban version and a suburban version. Based on your comments, we know which direction the county went in a more suburban model, and it, it, it was appropriate for the time, but it laid out that urban version, and it laid out where the transportation systems were going to be, where the greenways were going to be, what type of location... It even had the, they moved the airport, which didn't obviously happen, but they had Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International out in Weston. And it showed the flight path of where the planes would be and where the noise would be. Uh, it laid out soil types. It actually went in all the way down to, and it's not a very big document, it's maybe 60 pages. Um, it lays all the way down to what's suitable to be built on and what's not. But it did have one thing that I always keep in my mind and I still have it here in the office and by the way it's on our website um, the digital version uh, it actually showed Broward County could support about 2.4 2.5 million people mm-hmm. not necessarily in the suburban model it you know we're at basically the max we can do in a suburban environment um, it was about 1.7 so if we be we were just a suburban area and that laid out that model and it actually is something that I kind of keep going with with our transportation planning. That's fascinating because the irony too is that suburban model is seeing these communities that were like you know far apart bedroom communities want some sort of urban center right their downtown exactly. square and so that that suburban model that could you know have a capacity of less than two million we're going to far exceed that because we have vertical redevelopment hopefully and intentionally along our transportation corridors so you have downtown fort lauderdale yes it's the urban metropolitan downtown for right. the county but now we can be connected to pompano to coral springs to sunrise and you know hopefully continuing so that's perfect segue 
Sorry. Perfect segue. Thanks. So the Broward Commuter Rail Project, and for a lot of us that have been in the business for a long time, you know, we used to call that the Coastal Link uh, Project. That's a returning passenger, local passenger service to the FEC. Brightline came in, did a great job in connecting Fort Lauderdale, Miami, and West Palm Beach, soon Orlando International. Um, that is actually one of those things that really kind of makes a difference. How is the I'd say it's not just that they created this physical, you know, infrastructure connection. They yeah. created a new psychology of how people can think about getting around, right? Mm, and yeah. you may not use it on a daily basis or even monthly, but now there's an option. And so they, in that regard, were the catalyst, I think, for Definitely. us thinking about that. So with the new commuter system, and it's a couple of years off still, but, you know, things are moving forward. How do you see that impacting downtown Fort Lauderdale? How do you see that uh, attracting people to Fort Lauderdale as a, as an, not just an entertainment venue, but as a residential, where they want to live, where they want to hang out, where do they want to have these experiences? You know what it does, and, and if we've learned anything in the past couple of years, there's such a blending between work, personal life, you know, remote. Uh, yes, and so I think what what commuter rail and stops along the FEC throughout the county and the tri-county will do is allow us to be here and be there too, right? You can live in Pompano. You can go to, you know, dinner down in Hollywood. You can come up and back throughout the day. Um, so this this real just transitional, you know, living throughout the region, I think is going to allow all of the partner agencies you know, local government, private sector, to really think of ourselves as this bigger metropolitan region too. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the wonky from the political, you know, structure side. Um, But I I do think it's going to change that and make us think about ourselves in a more connected, you know, policy way. What it does for, I think, downtown Fort Lauderdale specifically, is it it's going to mandate that the areas around the stations Mm -hmm have that investment in the public infrastructure the walk what you what we did yeah. with the mobility hub yes I mean, yeah what a great project that you just cut the ribbon on recently and you know that was a long time in the works oh, but yeah. it set the stage <laughs> for how you know the the 10 blocks north south east and west of the train stations along the fec should be in the future and that, how they could look i actually um was talking to uh, a New York Times reporter, I think he interviewed you too, and we were talking about the mobility hub, and he's like, yeah, but it's just a segment of this and a segment of that, and and I'm going to use your, your experience with your parents in the model homes, your grandparents anyway. Um, I told him that is a model. It literally is a model. So the developers and the community can see this is what it would look like if you had wide sidewalks. This is what you would experience if you had a cycle track, a two, two-way uh, bicycle lane. This is what it could look like so almost serving like a a model environment and say hey we're not telling you to do this but look at it this version of the world's fair yeah (laughs) that's awesome incrementalism can be more successful than waiting for perfection of everything at once and i think that's what sometimes hurts us is we have big vision and we want to see them through but we and i mean we in the biggest sense of community aren't okay with seeing baby steps to get there well, and that's what excites me about 
actually having that 72 plan and I, I bring it out every once in a while for the board members and you know the MPO board members and other elected officials and developers and I'm like here this was the vision for you and you're kind of building that way Broward built out the way in the suburban model now we have the chance to actually redevelop in that more urbanized model where you have multiple neighborhoods and multiple downtowns or service areas you know villages whatever you want to call it what excites me about being able to talk about incrementalism and I appreciate that more than anything because as an MPO that's what we do is every every little step is incremental um, the the Broward commuter rail system right now it's looking at uh, independent phase from downtown Fort Lauderdale to downtown Miami and that's gonna you know go forward as a, as, as a unique unit that said it's incremental 95 wasn't built all at once I predate you a little bit. So you look at um, how that was developed. The It used to go from Miami to Hollywood Boulevard and then end. And then there was another segment in West Palm Beach and it ended. And so incrementally, the interstate highway got built. Sawgrass Expressway, same thing. That last piece, that last component of it to the 95 is coming in. Our transit system is going to be no different. When that stop is built and you can get on and off south of the river in downtown Fort Lauderdale by Broward Health Hospital District, by the new federal courthouse, you know, not only is it going to help investment come to south of the river in downtown where it's needed for more workforce housing, more office space, um, but it's going to demand from constituents north of the river that we keep this going. And when citizens, residents, business owners start to see that they can have that too, they're going to say elected officials, figure this out, public sector, Greg, Jenny, you guys make this happen because, you know, Wilton Manors, Oakland Park, Pompano, Deerfield they don't want to they want that same opportunity absolutely and you can't show something if it's not built so incrementalism getting us to downtown south of the river huge first step we're we're really excited to see how this is going to work jenny i can't believe we've gone through our time period but you know what i'm hoping that you can come back and we can talk some other stuff uh, because there's so many neat things happening in downtown with the entertainment venues and all the rest of it you know but we want to capture this long term as an oral history of south florida and i think really what you and I are talking about is going to be something people go, oh, they did that back then? And that way they can hear it and they can hear the conversation and the passion that you and I both bring to our jobs. I I couldn't be more pleased than to be here with you and let's do this regularly. I look forward to it. Thanks, Jenny. The Let's Talk Transportation podcast is produced by the Broward MPO, where every day we fund and implement projects that move people and goods, create jobs, and strengthen communities. Learn more at BrowardMPO.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Speak Up Broward. If there is a transportation topic you'd like to know more about, let us know by sending an email to info at BrowardMPO.org.